Today's scripture reading will be taken from Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11, and it reads, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For the ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This past Christmas, I got a special gift, a new alarm clock. I was badly in need of a new clock. After all, my struggle to get up in the morning is an equipment issue, not a personal issue. And this clock had all the right features. Its numbers were bright and visible. It played music. It even displayed what the temperature was outside. But what I treasure the most about this alarm clock is not its features, great as they are, but the fact that this clock was given to me by my daughter, Noelle. You should have seen the delight on her face and the, the bounce in her legs when she gave it to me that Christmas morning. And even now, every time she notices the clock, she proudly reminds me, Daddy, I gave that clock to you. Of course, I don't need to be reminded. It's the very thing that makes it so meaningful to me. Sometimes the most precious gifts aren't measured by their usefulness to the recipient, but by the devotedness of the giver, their heart of love. The Colombian novelist Gabriel Garcia Marquez once described love as a state of grace, not the means to anything, but the alpha and omega, an end in itself. I think those words aptly describe what following Jesus is ultimately all about. You see, at the heart of following Jesus is not the things you know about him or the things you do for him or with him, at the heart of following Jesus is loving 
Jesus. Love not as a means to anything, but as an end in itself. In other words, according to the Bible, Jesus is more than a man to be admired, or a teacher to be studied, or a revolutionary to be labored alongside. He is rather a savior to be loved. So the question before us this morning is simply this, do you love Jesus? Or are you at least beginning to learn that he's worthy of your deepest love? Here in Mark 14, we find a portrait of extravagant love for Jesus. He's with his disciples in the village of Bethany, about two miles outside the city of Jerusalem. They're enjoying an, an intimate meal together at the home of Simon the leper. Possibly he's someone who had been previously healed by Jesus. Then unexpectedly, during the meal, a woman comes in. We're not told her name. It's almost as if Mark's, Mark wants us to focus not on who she is, but on the amazing things she does. And, and here's what she does. She begins the ancient practice of anointing an honored guest with perfumed oil. But she doesn't bring in the, the low-budget stuff that you'll find in the clearance section at Anointings R Us. No, no. She brings a flask made of alabaster. Uh, that's a beautiful white marble-like stone. And in the alabaster, alabaster flask, there, there was ointment, we're told, made of pure nard. That's an aromatic oil extracted from a root that was native from far away India. Suffice to say, this was extremely expensive stuff. Mark describes this flask and oil in verse 3 as very costly. And later in verse 5, the disciples say that it's worth more than 300 denarii. That's about what the average worker in that day earned in one whole year. She broke the neck of the flask, that's how you opened it, and poured the perfumed oil over Jesus' head. But here's what we really need to understand about this extravagant gift of love. It wasn't just expensive. It was, in all likelihood, this dear woman's most valuable possession. She gave it up to Jesus. Historians say it was probably a family heirloom, something that was passed on from mother to daughter, from generation to generation. It was probably being saved uh, sort of as an emergency fund, you know, for a future day of dire need. And it might even have been set aside as a wedding dowry, which she now dissolved in an instant. See, she wasn't just pouring out expensive oil. She was pouring out her future, her family ties. She was pouring out her identity her prospects for marriage, her deepest sources of trust and security in this world. 
You know, we're all breaking our own alabaster, alabaster flasks over the heads of someone or something. She poured it all out on Jesus. It's why theologian Sinclair Ferguson observed, in gratitude for the past, she poured her future and security on Jesus. And it's why commentator William Lane described her generous gift as a beautiful expression of love. And it's why English preacher Charles Spurgeon explained she wanted to show that she loved her Savior immeasurably, and she wished to express to him, as best she could, her intense veneration of him and her ardent affection for him. And this is why Jesus himself said in verse 6, she has done a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing to me. Beloved, here's an invitation to bring a beautiful thing before Jesus this week. Acts and gestures of extravagant love. Of course, the point here isn't that we need to bring literally expensive or luxurious gifts. Rather, the point is to offer your wholehearted, sacrificial devotion, dedicating your work to Christ, dedicating your, your home, your finances, your children, your possessions to God, saying in your heart, this belongs to you, Lord. This really is yours. I bring you the very, very best of my time, my talents, possession, energy, mind, space, affections. I give you, Lord, not my leftovers, not after all I spent on myself. I bring you rather my first fruits. But this is a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge. It's hard to offer this kind of love to God. One reason it's hard, of course, is that it's costly, and it can feel threatening. One commentator posed a question long time ago, a question that's worth pondering even today. Shall we think any flask of ointment too precious, too costly to pour on him? Friends, is there something in your life that you're refusing to give to Jesus that you might be withholding from him? But another reason it's hard that sometimes is that sometimes we're just stubbornly practical people. What I mean is this. In verse 4, we're told that after the woman offered this incredible gesture of love, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, that is to say, judgmentally, why was this ointment wasted like that? It could have been sold and given to the poor instead. And they scolded her. See, this passage is reminding us that oftentimes, extravagant love looks or feels like a waste. Remember, love, beautiful love, is not the means to anything, but the end in itself. 
And so sometimes genuine love to Christ should express itself in moments that have no apparent practical value. You do it simply because you love him, not because it works, not because of its impact, but rather, as Sinclair Ferguson also noted, a wholehearted devotion to Jesus, which has no other motive than love for him. This is what the woman brought to Jesus. This is what we are to bring to him also. Do you ever pray, not just when you need something from God, but simply because you want to be with him? Love makes communion with God the chief end of prayer. Do you ever serve Christ and his people, not just because you can reasonably predict that it will produce some measurable fruit and so it'll be worth your time, but do you ever do these things simply because you want to please the heart of Christ? and simply because he deserves your time. Friends, we have been so practical in our faith that sometimes we've withheld a sort of extravagance of praise or devotion or sacrifice out of concern that it might be wasteful. Now, let's be clear about one thing. Jesus here wasn't denying the importance of serving the poor with generosity. He affirms that ordinarily this is a priority of gospel ministry, and he does this in three ways. First, when Jesus says, you always have the poor with you, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 15, from the Old Testament, which commands God's people to be generous towards the materially vulnerable. So Jesus isn't changing that. He's actually establishing and reaffirming that. But secondly, in doing so, Jesus is telling us that love for Christ is actually upstream from love for our neighbors. It's only in seeing his worthiness that we will see theirs. And when our devotion to Christ grows and increases, so also will our love for our neighbors who reflect his image. Some Christians have made themselves friends to their neighbors, but strangers to Jesus. Jesus here reminds us that this must not be so. Devotion to him must be prior to, must be the spiritual fuel of your devotion to any kingdom cause. And third, Jesus encourages rather than undermines ministry to those in material need by identifying himself with the poor. He connects service to the vulnerable with his coming death. He reminds his disciples that he won't be around for much longer. You will, not, you, uh, you will not always have me, he says. And then in verse 8, he mentions his burial. In giving to Christ, the woman was giving to the poor because no one would be more impoverished, no one would sink to a more dire condition than Jesus himself would on the cross. He became destitute beyond 
measure. As the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 8-9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become spiritually rich. Which brings us to the final point. Where do you get this kind of extravagant love? What is its source? Notice how Jesus relates this woman's gesture of love with his death in verse 8. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. In ancient times, it was customary for the bodies of the deceased to be anointed with oil. So as she broke the alabaster flask of fragrant oil over his head, Jesus explained, it was as though she was preparing him for his death. See, the the women in Jesus' ministry listened far better than the men. She knew and understood that he was going to die. Just as he said many times that he would, he was going to die for her. That evening, perhaps you could have even heard her singing those words from the old hymn, I love thee because thou hast first loved me. She offered extravagant love to Jesus because she had seen his extravagant love for her. Friends, how about you? Have you seen his extravagant love for you. God gave his son his most precious possession for you and for me. And with near reckless, near wasteful generosity, Jesus withheld nothing. He paid it all. He gave it all, living the life that you and I should have lived and dying the death that you and I should have died, forgiving all of our sins, declaring us perfectly righteous in his sight, adopting us into his family, calling us his children, seating us with him on his throne, and promising us that no matter what hardships you might be facing today, not a hair can fall from your head apart from the will of your heavenly Father. So fixed is his attention, his eyes upon you. So great is his love for you. Do you see Jesus himself, an alabaster flask, as it were, broken and very costly. His life, his blood, his love poured out, poured out over our heads. Most would see his sacrifice and scorn it as an utter waste. But those with eyes to see would see it and confess, he has done a beautiful thing for me. Just as it was that evening 2,000 years ago, 
extravagant love is only and always an overflow of a filled soul. You give as you have received. We love him because he first loved us. And so this morning he leaves us with a question. Do you love me? Do you love me? And then he leaves us with one more. Do you know how much I love you? Let's pray. Open our eyes, O oh Lord, and open our hearts that we would see your love and then offer up our lives to you in extravagant love in return. In Christ's name, amen.